Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Rays take two out of three from the Marlins. We'll tell you what we liked. Tyler Glass now, Ryan Yarbrough, Diego Castillo, Austin Meadows, Joey Wendell. And what we didn't like, every other pitcher in Austin Meadows in the outfield. The Lightning split with the Red Wings over the weekend, and they got blown out on Sunday 5-1 to one with a call-up from the AHL between the pipes. Why are the big names having some trouble scoring? And did you enjoy the Final Four? How can tonight's game between Gonzaga and Baylor possibly Top the Zags UCLA semifinal. We've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And Steve, we'll get to uh, the Rays and the Lightning here real quickly in just a minute. I just wanted to hit fast on the uh, on, on the NCAA, the Final Four. And this should be a, a, a great final, I think, you know, between Gonzaga and Baylor. I don't. There's only a few games I think in NCAA history that would top what we watched in the semifinal between the Zags and UCLA. That was an incredible game. It was. I mean, you know, first of all, UCLA. You know, how many people actually thought they could hang with Gonzaga? Right. Who's been perfect this season? They take them to overtime with three seconds left in overtime. You think it's going to a second overtime? Mm-hmm. Every time UCLA would take a, a punch to the gut. They come back mm-hmm. like every time you're like, oh, this is where they fall apart. This is this is this is where they're they're going to crumble. Now, oh, Gonzaga is going to run away with it. UCLA would come back. I mean, right. that is a that is a tough team. And, and I know Mick Cronin coaching. He coached at Cincinnati for years. And, you know, that's always what Cincinnati wanted to be. They just never had as much talent as UCLA has. And you can get better talent at UCLA than you can at Cincinnati. Um. Mick's a great coach, and that's that was a heck of an effort by UCLA. The last three weeks by them in the tournament has been phenomenal. From an 11 seed that had to play in the play-in game mm-hmm. to do with what they knocked off, they took Gonzaga to overtime, knocked off Michigan. Uh, you know, it's just been a great run for them. Um, but wow, what a game! And I've heard a lot of people saying that Suggs' shot at the end was, you know, oh, it's a lucky shot. That's not a great game. He set himself. It was, the shot was improbable from the distance it was, and maybe he didn't call bank. <laughs> but, I mean, that was a set shot that he took. He had three seconds. He dribbled it up, elevated, set, had good form. You know, I mean, that's not it's not lucky. I mean, it's improbable from that range and at, at that instance. But it's not like he, you know, just heaved it halfway down the court one-handed. Right. He took a shot. Right. No, that, that was not a baseball pass or something that you would throw overhand. Um, that just happened to bounce off the glass and in. Um, he did zero it up. I think the other thing about Jalen Suggs is it, it, the play of the game for me. There was a there was a, a sequence that was incredible, and that is that when um, there was about two minutes to go, and he came from behind and blocked what looked like a dunk for Cody Riley, and and not only that, but he kept the ball in bounds. Then he pushes it up court. And then makes an unbelievable, like, thread-the-needle one-handed bounce pass to Drew Timmy, who ends up with a dunk. So instead of going down by two, 
Gonzaga had a two-point lead. So if you want to look at any point in that game that was certainly back and forth with all the lead changes and everything, that sequence right there by Suggs was incredible. Um, but you're right. And, uh, you know, in listening, you know, after the game uh, to Mark Few, he was saying, look, we, you know, we have situational drills like that where we take those shots, you know. Mm-hmm. We take the shots across half court, and he actually makes a lot of them. And you're right. He had, you know, he had it lined up. He had the perfect arc on the ball. Yeah, it was a little long yet, yeah, banked in. Um, but he had to, you know, he had three seconds. He had to have the clock in mind. He had to get the ball and advance it across half court to give himself a chance to make that play. But man, what a what a oh my god moment, right? Like you're not going to forget. It's going to live in infamy. Now the question is, did that game top like the Duke Kentucky game years ago with Christian Leitner making that turnaround uh, jumper to win that game? I think it might. And the reason I'll say that is, is, is wasn't the Leitner game wasn't that to go to the final four it was it was not yeah it was not a fine it was not a a final a semi-final a, a national semi-final and this is in the final four to go to the championship to preserve a perfect season right now i'm trying to remember was was duke down in that game when leitner hit that shot yes okay so, so i believe that, maybe, that i believe maybe they that were. makes it a little better because i mean if Suggs misses that shot they're going to a second overtime right it's not like it's not like you had to make that shot to win the game right and Leitner's so, shot was not a three-pointer. It was just a turnaround no, at the foul line. But correct. the baseball pass, you know, from Grant Hill mm-hmm. um, on the money, he had just enough time to take a fake step, turn around and shoot, and he made it. It was such a great game. I mean, those teams both, I think, scored over 100 points in that game. Um, so it was an up and down. Kentucky played great. Some great stars in that game. But but for what this meant, I mean, you had such an underdog in UCLA just going toe-to-toe. And it it looked like it was going to a second overtime. First of all, overtime games in the Final Four are very rare, extremely mm-hmm. rare. So you were looking at one that was maybe headed at two overtimes. Let me let me turn the tables a little bit. But if it was UCLA that hit that shot and won it, oh my! Would then it be considered a better game than Duke Kentucky because of probably how much of an underdog, an eleven seed over the undefeated right number one seed, number top seed in the tournament to go to the championship game? That's possible. I mean, you, you know, because Gonzaga hit the shot, maybe it's not given as much credit as it should. That's be. Good point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that that there's a possibility that there that that's a factor. But um, man, it was just an enjoyable game because you're right. UCLA would not go away. It didn't matter. Um, you know, the lead changes how many points. And, and Gonzaga, understand this too about Gonzaga is they're 31 and 0. If they win the national championship, and I think they would be favored against Baylor, who's really, really good, so it should be a really entertaining game. But if they win it, they're already considered one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time. And we're talking about the UNLV team with Larry Johnson. We're talking about Michael Jordan, you know, and and James Worthy. We're we're talking about you know some of the great uh, greatest of all time. And you know, to go undefeated, I mean, that's you know, that's such a rare air for any college basketball team. So, yeah, for, for all those reasons, they preserve uh, the undefeated season 31-0 and now, and they get to play. But I'll tell you, it's going to be – I don't know what this game is going to be like. I think it will be really entertaining, but it's going to be hard to top that, man. That, that was – I mean, that was a jump-out-of-your-couch moment over the weekend. Well, how often do you get the consensus top two teams in college basketball in the championship game? Right. I mean, that's what we have this year is Gonzaga and Baylor, I believe, were number one and two for 15 of the 17 weeks of the season, if I saw correctly today, mm-hmm. um, in the rankings. 
you know, Gonzaga's undefeated. Baylor, I think, lost once. Yeah. Um, you know, that that the two best teams in college basketball, the consensus two best teams in college basketball are meeting for the NCAA championship. That doesn't happen very often. So, you know, I, I hope it's a good game because, I you know, if, if these are the best two teams, then it should be a, a great show tonight. It's interesting because the ratings have not been good, and I think a lot of that is a lot of the Blue Bloods aren't in it, like Duke and Kentucky and um, so forth. And, and also, uh, you don't have any team, you know, that's east of the Mississippi. Um, you know, in the Final Four, you had two Texas teams by themselves, and then, of course, UCLA and Gonzaga. So, um, but regardless, that that game, that game, people will be talking about forever, and and hopefully, um, I mean, I I really think this is going to be a close final. I, I really like Baylor. I like their energy. They can defend. They can run the floor. They 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 should be able to match up pretty well with Gonzaga, even though I think that they're the best team in the country and have been. But looking forward to this one. So that was fun over the weekend. So the other thing that happened, of course, uh, we had opening day. Um, you know, the Rays started in Miami against the Marlins. And what a start, especially for Tyler Glass now. And we had talked about, you know, how he would react to being, you know, the number one, the ace, the number one pitcher on the staff, right? Um, after, you know, you lose Blake Snell, you trade him to San Diego, and, uh, you know, Charlie Morton has gone to Atlanta and all that. So Tyler moves up two notches. And, you know, he's an emotional guy. He's a guy that overthinks a lot of things. And he had worked on a slider. And it's like, yeah, okay, he worked on a slider. He, he, had, he was a two-pitch pitcher primarily, but they were really good two pitches, fastball, curveball guy. Well, let me tell you, uh, he threw that slider a lot. I mean, almost 30-something percent of the time, 38% of the time, I think. And it was wipeout. And that guy was as dominant of a pitcher that I've watched over the last few years in baseball, not just, you know, and, and that was his best game by far. They weren't going to hit him had he been able to stretch himself out and go more innings. He had no hit stuff. And the one the one hit they had, I think he gave up all of one cent. It was one an hit infield up. hit. It was an infield hit. It was behind third behind third base, yeah, that really Diaz kind of double-clutched and, um, you know, could have uh, could have almost thrown him out. So, I mean, the guy – the poise, the calmness. He even said, he goes, it, it felt a little like spring training. You know, I felt felt good out there. But he had a little back tightness, and so he was a statue at the plate, which was kind of funny. And you hope that uh, whatever that was doesn't doesn't affect him down the road. But, man, that that gave you a lot of hope about, about Glass now and the kind of year he's going to have. I heard Brian Anderson talking to Neil Solons on, on their This Week in Race baseball show on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And just saying how impressive it is to you add a third pitch. And, and Brian said, "Look, I was with CC Sabathia when he added the changeup. Mm-hmm. He always had the fastball slider, and when he added the changeup, he went from a very good pitcher to elite. Mm. And that, you know, at Cleveland. But for Glass now to work on this pitch, use it in spring training, but to use it as much as he did, yeah, he and did. rely on it as much as he did mm-hmm. in his first start, just shows you the confidence he has and and how." Look, we already know, you know, his first two pitches were devastating. Then you add that slider. Yep. It's, you know, that and he's that confident in it already from opening day on. That That's a good sign for Tyler Glass now in the Rays this season. Yeah, it was so good. And, of course, they win that first game uh, one to nothing on Austin Meadows. Home run Meadows has been swinging a great bat in spring training. He lost all the weight in the offseason. Of course, last year, you know, derailed by COVID, never really got on track and, um, he's looked quick with the bat, and he actually, um, you know, hit a hit a hit a breaking ball out. I think, but he he was he was 
that was that was just a great baseball game. It was well pitched on both sides, good defense, all of that. And then they come back the next night, of course, and this was, you know, this is the plan for the Rays is you you throw somebody who's a who has, you know, wipeout stuff. I mean, a hard thrower, a right-hander like Glass now, and you go to Ryan Yarbrough who, you know, is just the the venerable crafty left-hander, you know, the guy that's maybe going to get it up there at 90 once in a while, but for the most part is off speed, uh, moves the ball in and out, up and down, just just the old-fashioned type pitcher. And he was dominant. I mean, he threw as well as anybody I've seen in a long time. And once again, you know, um, Meadows gives them a home run and they they follow it up with another home run. And um, you're thinking that this is going to go similar to the opening game. Uh, and then their bullpen kind of let them down and they had to battle back. And I'll tell you, talk about a clutch gene. Joey Wendell um, with just an enormous three-run home run um that gate you know regained the lead for them and they wind up winning that game because Diego Castillo uh, on both nights the first night and and the second game closes the door on Miami but just a huge hit by Joey Wendell and he seems to be a guy that just always comes up with those big knocks man he really does I mean he, he's a player you don't talk about that much on the race Mm-mm. but he he plays good defense mm-hmm. can can play a lot of different positions right Seems to have that clutch hitting gene. Mm-hmm. He's just a good all around player, but he gets you get lost. I mean, you talk about Meadows, you talk about a Rosarina, you sure. talk about Brendan Lau. You, I mean, G Man Choi. You kind of you kind of get lost, you know, because Wendell's not in the lineup every day, and he's at a different spot every day. Yeah, uh, but he's such a vital part of this this team and organization, and and you know, it's kind of the epitome of what the Rays are, really. Yeah, no, he really is, and uh, he's he's that you know that that. Swiss Army knife type of guy that can play anywhere uh, and does a good job with the glove as well. So uh, that was such a that was such a big comeback because it looked like they had lost that game and had gotten away from them. And then the ninth inning with one out, nobody on, they rally and win that one. So you know, pretty good start, right? You're two and zero, oh, and and that's that hasn't happened for the Rays uh, very often throughout their their history. And then we got to the final game of the series, and I got to be honest with you. If you were looking for positive signs from Rich Hill or, you know, uh, some of the, you know, just, just, I mean, they threw the staff out there, right? I mean, in a way, it's kind of unfair because, you know, no one, I mean, Chris Archer isn't used to coming out of the bullpen. It's only the third time he's done it. Uh, he got completely sabotaged by Austin Meadows, who, who, you know, put on a circus out in right field, just Ooh. misplayed two terrible, terrible balls. I mean, it looked, frankly, it looked like little league. It looked like, it looked like amateur baseball out there. He lost track. He lost track of two of them. Although one, he seemed like he tracked. Okay. He just didn't close the glove. Yeah. The first one was a little tricky I and mean, he kind of got turned around and, yeah. and I, I, you know, I, that happened. That happens. The second one was, Hey, he had it. it was hangover from the first one or yeah, just, yeah. The second one was, it was egregious. He the just, first one was, you know, I mean, it wasn't good, and and he should he should have played that a lot better. But you know, you get turned around sometimes. That happens, right? Um, even to the best players in the world. But the second one was just a bad drop. Yeah, it was an adventure, and and not a good one. So, you know, and then and then after that, I mean, look, I I will give Archer the fact that you know when you got outfielders misplaying balls, it doesn't it doesn't help you. Here's what I saw about Archer, and I think it's it's a little unfair, maybe to to judge based obviously off one appearance and then also coming out of the bullpen, which is probably not what he's going to do. And he may not, he may have an opener when he pitches. Um, he may start. We don't know. 
they're likely going to split up him and Rich Hill, you know, in the future. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I was watching the velocity. It didn't impress me. He was around 93 most of the time when I saw him throw. Uh, the ball really wasn't moving all that much. Um, breaking ball was okay. You know, it just, it, but you got, I, I, I keep reminding myself, this guy didn't pitch last year. You know, he's not faced live hitting in, in forever. So not only is he coming back to the Rays and in a new role and coming out of the bullpen, but he's just not comfortable on the mound yet, you know, and then you get the, you get in trouble because of the defensive plays. So I'm, I'm willing to give him a pass. I just, I didn't think his stuff was all that great from the last time I'd seen him, but you know, that's to be expected first time out. Um, but then after that, no one was really good. You know what I mean? They just, um, it, it was, it was Miami's night. They got the bats going and they just kept them going and uh, they wind up losing that game uh, fairly handily. So are you worried about the bullpen? Yeah, it was not good in this series. It wasn't, you know, the, the, I mean, I see what their a bullpen can be and I think it's okay. But when Diego Castillo was good, Pete Fairbanks, Fairbanks is on every Fairbanks is going to be okay when he comes. I think he'll be okay, but he's not there right now. He's not there yet, but he's, he could be the potential setup guy for, for Mm -hmm. Diego Castillo. If that's the way they're going to go. And that's the way they went the first two nights. Um, who else did they pitch? Um, yeah, I, I just don't think they have a lot of depth down. I mean, they have they have they have name. Obviously, they have depth, but i i I don't see I don't see the the, the kind of bullpen that I expected. I well, you're really missing Nick Anderson. You're missing Nick, obviously, because then everybody would move down a notch, and you'd feel better about Diego Castillo in the eighth inning and somebody else in the seventh. But yeah, it's going to be I'm a okay struggle with Diego in the ninth. I mean, I, I don't know. Everybody else, maybe not. Maybe is you know a spot too far back that I'd mm-hmm. like. I'm okay with Diego in the ninth. I think it's going to be a struggle in the bullpen a little bit in the beginning. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm more concerned to be honest with you. Like I, like I said, I mean, I'm not sure how, how deep they go after the first two starters. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. Well, we'll see. We got, we haven't seen Michael Walker yet. That's true. Um, you know, so I mean, uh, you you obviously like Glasnow and Yarbrough's first two starts or first starts. Absolutely, those were, those were great. But Col- Colin McHugh came in. I don't know what his role is going to be. He didn't pitch well. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I want to see Waka. Um, who else did we see over the weekend? We saw Ryan Thompson a lot. Of course, he's you know sidearm guy. I think we saw Cody Reed. Did we see Cody Reed? I'm not sure. Yep, I believe we did. Um, Chaz Rowe is Chaz Rowe. I've never been impressed with him. I think you're in trouble. It's funny because he'll struggle and then all of a sudden he'll start pitching really well and you don't even realize it. And then you'll look up and he'll have like, you know, 10 straight appearances without a run. And you're like, how'd that happen? It's just all about that slider. If he can command the slider, he'll, he, he's, he can get people out at will. But um, if he gets behind people, he can get hurt too. So, look, it's three games. Relax yourself. You know, I keep saying my wife was funny. She's like, why are you being critical of the Razor? Like playing their third game. And I go, yeah, I know, but I'm just, you know. I just telling you what I see. Um, they got to figure it out. They got a long season to do that. Now they go to Boston with a series that starts tonight up there, uh, and then they're going to come home, you know, and they're going to have a, a pretty good little homestand to start the season with. I think it's the Yankees and then the Rangers after that. So opening day uh, at the Trop, at least the season opener here is going to be next Friday night. So that'll be fun. Hey, but at least the Red Sox are looking good. Oof. Not a good team, huh? Yeah, they got what outscored eighteen to five by the Orioles over the weekend. My goodness, I know. 
And Toronto, Toronto beat the Yankees two out of three. Yeah, two out of three. So I mean, Baltimore's leading the division at three and zero. Oh, so <laughs> Baltimore's undefeated, right? <laughs> there you go. So don't take too much out of the first series of the season. But um, yeah, it was fun. It was just great to know, and it was weird too because you get to Sunday, Easter Sunday, and and the Rays aren't playing. Like, how many Sundays out of the season do you not have a baseball game? There was, there's, I can think of two. Uh, there was a, a Sunday last year, or maybe it was two years ago, that they played the Marlins in a two-game series Friday, Saturday, and had Sunday off. And the other one I can remember was when the RNC was in town. Right. Okay. Yeah. They played through a Saturday and then had a Sunday off before they went on the road, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was because they were going to do some RNC events at Tropicana Field. Mm-hmm. So they needed to to end that series before Saturday or before Sunday for that. Right. Those are the only two times I can think of, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I could be missing one, or I mean, obviously rainouts or something. But yeah, it but, seemed really odd. But you know, the thing, the funny thing about the like right now, I think in many instances that I, it, it just depends on who's pitching. Once you get past the first two days, the first couple of days, I think you know you could see that pitchers were sort of dominant throughout the league. But the first couple of days, if you if I'm watching the Rays. I'm going, yeah, I don't know about because I was the guy that said it's the best offense they've ever had. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this this looks too familiar. They're gonna I mean, one run and then two runs, you know. And they're kinda like and then the then the bats woke up at you know, late in the game, uh the game two, and they're like, Okay, well and and then the last I mean they hit, they scored some runs the, the final game. So I don't I still don't know what to make of this offense. Um, there's some guys that need to get going, like uh, Sugo, for one. Mm-hmm. He, he could have a little better start. Um, Kiermaier. <laughs> um, yep. You know, there's there's some guys that weren't swinging a good bat. But, you know, it, like I said, three games does not a uh, a long season make. And if you meatloaf everybody, as Joe Madden would say, and mm-hmm. two out of three ain't bad, and win a series here, and the next series yeah. there, you're going to be fine. Hey, it could be the Braves who won their division for the last couple of years, started 0 and 3. I know. Against the Phillies. Against the, the Phillies. Yeah. So, Charlie Morton uh, uh, lost 4 to nothing in that game. Or the A's who are 0 and 4 to the Astros outscored 35 to 9 in four games. Oof. Yeah, that was bad. That was a bad series. I don't know. It's, it's you never really know. You know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to to try to glean much from the first series of of seasons. I mean, you know, well, I think, it's funny because uh, you know, being from Cincinnati, so I still have a lot of friends in Cincinnati, and so I'll follow some Red stuff, particularly on Twitter. A lot of people, sure. And the Reds, you know, got blown out opening day, like eleven to six or something, but it was you know nine nothing early or something like that. And you know, Cincinnati fans are just this season's lost already. It's over. And they won. Blah, the, blah, blah. They won the they next won the two. next two, and they're two and one. <laughs> yeah. And you know, they yeah. took it to the Cardinals. Right. Uh, you know, it, it it's one series. And, well, and this, was, is, and this isn't a sixty game schedule like last year, where, you're where going, it mattered. Yeah. Every series matters. I mean, it's it's out of one sixty two. You're going to have some bad games. You're going to have clunkers like Game Three. Mm-hmm. You know, now if it continues regularly, you worry. But yeah. you're going to have clunkers. You're going to have some games you just dominate. You don't know why or how. I mean that's what a 162 game schedule is. It's you got to look at the the bigger picture. And you took two out of three, mm-hmm. you move on, and and you got an off day. You know, two out of three, and you had an off day. So yeah, you know, move on, and and you know, just like you said, meatloaf. Just take two out of every three, you're fine. Oh, a year ago, you know, they had they they had a rough start, and they wound up winning, going 40 and 20. So mm-hmm. you know, out of 60 games, and um, yeah, you can't 
you, that's just the nature of baseball. You can't get too high or too low. And, um, you know, if, if you, like I said, you tell anybody they're going to win two out of three of any series that they'd probably be happy with that. And they should be, but I do see, I do want to see how they're going to work this pitching staff. At least the first time out, I wasn't overly impressed with any of those guys, but, uh, they'll get, they'll get more chances. So, and by the way, I want to Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. So you haven't seen this play yet because it happened right before I we just started saw, recording. I but... just saw the replay of it, actually, okay. while we were well, on. So first of all, he starts the game. It's 101 miles an hour in the first inning and then hits a home run because he's batting second for the Angels, right. uh, which is great. But then in the fifth inning, so he's on the mound, runners in second and third, strikes the guy out, but the ball gets by the catcher. So the guy's running to first. Catcher goes back. Yep. Otani covers the plate. Catcher overthrows the first baseman. So the guy from third scored. The guy from second is now trying to score. The second baseman throws it to Otani covering the plate and way overthrows him, airmails it. Yep. Otani's jumping in the air. Meanwhile, Jose Abreu's that runner from second, and he slides into Otani in the ankles. Yeah. To get home because Otani's blocking the plate. Kind of submarined him like a tackle would. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, and Abreu immediately jumped up and was like, well, you know, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't intending to hurt no. him or anything. He's just trying to score. Um, and, and Otani ends up leaving the game. I hope he's okay. On the replay, it didn't look as bad as I thought it was initially live. Yeah. Although it doesn't mean it's not bad or serious, but he was limping a little bit. He was he limp. Off. Yeah. He was moving kind of gingerly. And of course, I think he's had, well, we know he had Tommy John surgery. So for a guy to come back and throw a hundred and something is ridiculous. But he's also he also had a little bit of knee procedure, I think. So you, you wonder if if uh, maybe he did something with that or his ankle. It's hard to say, and it's probably smart of them not to try to push it with him. But yeah, that that looked pretty scary. Hopefully, it's not serious because I mean it's just incredible. I, I still marvel at the fact that this kid is on a major league mound throwing a hundred miles an hour and then hit an absolute bomb to right field the first time up. I mean, come on, man, that's just stupid good at this level. You're not supposed to be able to do that, you know? No, not at all. It's I mean, just, and the Rays hope that someday Brendan McKay will be the same. One, right, but. right. But it's just, it's just. I mean, people, Little League, sure, you know, you always played shortstop and pitched, right? That was the thing, the best athlete on the team. But, like, I mean, to see this at the major league level and not just, you know, a guy with power or a guy that, that you know, has a presence on the mound that's, that they can throw as hard as he does. It's just, it's incredible. I remember when... You know, he was coming from Japan, and they were, I mean, 60 Minutes was doing stories on this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about, well, he could be the first two, two, a real two-way player that could, and you're like, come on. And you're watching, you know, we were watching him in the, in the Japanese league, and you're going, well, okay, but that's not, that's not Major League Baseball. No, he can, he can hit, man. He can absolutely hit, and he throws the heck out of the, fo- out of the baseball. Yeah. So, um, fun player to watch. And they'll be here, as a matter of fact. They open um, when 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 Toronto opens in Dunedin. The first team they play are the Angels. Yes, Joe Madden will be on the mound in Tampa Bay for the opener, but in Dunedin, not at Tropicana. How crazy is that? That's just nuts. <laughs> what if he's going to stay at his house on Bayshore? I, he, I would. You have to, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless you've B and beat it, and someone's already there. And I mean, for that you know. matter, I wonder what the big what's the major league hotel near Dunedin? Because <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, is there anything? Maybe on the beach someplace. No, you're probably like, staying on the beach somewhere. That's what I'm guessing, right? Maybe on Clearwater Beach or something. Yeah, that would have to be it because there's really, there's really not a lot out that way. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, but that'll be fun to watch. Okay, so over the weekend, the Lightning, boy, the schedule that they got, I don't know how the NHL players agreed to all these games in such a short period of time. I think it was a bad idea, though. Um, but this was one of uh, many back-to-backs that they had, this time with the Detroit Red Wings over the weekend. And, uh, you know, they won the first game 2-1 um, to one on Saturday. They're both afternoon games, 1 o'clock and then noon on Sunday. Uh, Vassy, by the way, in the third period was just unbelievable. Like, he won that game. Some of the saves he came up with were incredible. Um, but they do win 2-1. to one. And then they came back, and they had a little adversity they faced, I guess, Curtis McElhaney um, had a had some injury, some tweak, I guess, that he was suffering from. So they brought up uh, this. Well, Chris- we didn't know that before the game. So no. it was kind of a shock. Ben Thomas took the rookie lap when they came out on the ice. Yep. And it was expected he was going to play at some point. So that Defenseman, wasn't a shock. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't a shock. He's been on the taxi squad. Mm-hmm. But then Cur- Christopher Gibson leads the team on the ice after the rookie lap. And we're like, what? We're walking into the arena. And we're, we haven't gotten to our seats yet. And we look up on the screen, and my daughters, who know every number to every player, just mm-hmm. ask them. It's incredible. They see, you know, and I had told them, I said, well, I'm pretty sure that uh, McElhenney's going to play because mm-hmm. it was back-to-back, and obviously uh, Andre played the day before. And they see, I think it was 33 was his number, I believe. He comes yep. comes skating on, and they go, that's not McElhenney. I go, oh, no, it's probably, and I go, you're right. Like they picked it up right away, and it's like, who is this Christopher Gibson? So you're you're kind of scrummaging around. Well, he's a 28 year old, um, and didn't have his best day. He allowed four goals on just 17 shots. Two of them he should have stopped. One came off the boards that he just kind of had well, a chance. He went to try to he put tried to put his put glove, the glove on, down missed and missed it, and went across the yeah. crease and guy tapped it in. But yeah, that was that was on him as the well. The first goal went off him. Dylan Larkin on the power play mm-hmm. should have stopped that. It leaked through him. Yep. The other two, the other two he had no shot at. I mean, right, right. The biggest thing they got going for him now, and it was it was, uh, you know, look, it, when you get beat five to one, right? We'll we'll get to that why why they um, gave up the empty netter when they did, but. Um, the biggest takeaway has been that they're in a bit of a scoring slump, and that's not overstating things. I mean, if you look at it, if not for the fourth line, you know, because they've now lost four out of six out of the last six games. Um, you take away Braden Point's three goals in, in the two games before Sunday because the only one that scored on Sunday was um, Hedman. Hedman, Victor Hedman. Um, but you take away those goals – then that means four of the Lightning's past six goals have been scored by their fourth line, which good for their fourth line. I mean, it's 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 been really successful for them. But Stamkos, Stephen Stamkos hasn't scored in six straight games. Um, Andre Palat, Yanni Gord, Alex Kalorn, they haven't scored now in five games. So you want your best players to play big, and you want them to score. A little bit, little bit of an offensive slump right now. It is. Well, I think there's a couple things. I think you're playing desperate teams. 
yes. who are you know trying to make the play. Detroit maybe not trying to make the playoffs, but they're improving and in, in, you know playing for next season and showing you know what they're capable of and and, and all that. But you're playing a lot of de- Columbuses and Nashvilles in this, so you're mm-hmm. playing desperate teams. You're getting closer to the playoffs now, mm-hmm. and so teams are starting to lock it down a little bit defensively. Right. But I, the biggest thing in the fourth line doesn't fall into this trap. They're passing too much. Yes. They're not putting pucks on net. They're trying. They're, they're, it's a lot of east and west movement trying to find the perfect shot mm-hmm. instead of throwing it on the net and going and get it. And yep. the fourth line does that. Colton and Joseph and Maroon. Right. They go north-south. Actually, they just go north. <laughs> they, they don't even go They just they don't go let north. you go south. They go north. They fight and, they, and keep they, everything they, in there. And they, they, if they can throw it on the net, they're throwing it on the net. Yeah, I mean that's that's what they do. Or they get pucks um, deep and just battle for them. You know, I, yeah, mean, I mean, look at Colton's goal on Saturday. I mean, right. it was thrown on the net, and then there was, it was a juicy rebound there, and he went and got it and put it in in mm-hmm. an open net. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that's what that line does. The Braden Point line, the you know, the, they're all passing too much. Yeah, they've got a decent shot, but I might be able to get a better one if I and, and the pass gets knocked away or it's yeah. just off or yeah. And, and and some of this has to do with they're not they're they're not practicing at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, the schedule doesn't allow for many practice days. Period. Morning skates aren't full practices where you're really working on things. So some of it's that. Some of it is uh, the, you know even their power play. They're looking for the perfect shot. Mm-hmm. They're not throwing and they're getting a lot of shots blocked right now too. Right. Um, well, in Detroit in particular, they pack mm-hmm. it around the goaltender. I mean, mm-hmm. they they've got three guys standing in a crease almost. Well, and if they're going to do that, then you can't keep bombing it from the point. You've got to do something different. Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, Hedman and Sergachev and those guys shooting from the point's great. Yeah. But if every time you're shooting from the point, it's, it's getting, getting blocked, then you got to you got to try something different. Right. You got to, you know, Braden Point as great as he is. Every time he enters the zone, when's the last time you saw him go straight to the net when he enters the zone? Yeah, I haven't. He yeah. stops at the half wall and turns around and waits. Yeah. You know, use that speed, go. And, and, and there are times that's a, that's a good play to stop and do that. But almost every time, I mean, that's the Lightning's MO. They enter the zone and they stop mm-hmm. and wait for everybody else to get set. Well, what are you doing that for? Um, you know, I just, it, it's, they're just, they're, they're pass happy right now. They're trying to make the perfect play. And, and, and look, you like that on a team that they want to set up their teammates and, you know, they're not, nobody's being selfish. That's good. But they've fallen this, and they fall in this trap periodically over the last few years where, they just try to pass the puck in the net instead of shoot it. Let me ask you this though: you you know, even if they're not practicing, they watch film, right? I mean, sure, they they sure. they're aware of this, you know, this problem or this habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we've we've heard it in other seasons too. It's not like this is the first time where, yep. I mean, Phil Esposito. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, if you listen to him, he wants shoot you to, he wants you to, he wants you to shoot before you get to the blue line. But that's another problem. But yeah. Um, so how is it that they're not able to crack this habit because they're so skilled and they're so used to making the great play that ends up in the back of the net that that's just who they are? Or um, do they just ignore every, I mean, in other words, they've been told this before, you know, sure. going into games and yet you see it continue to persist where they just keep going East West. Like you said, that's, that's and I, you know what, that's why John Cooper gets paid the big bucks. That's true. He's got to figure that out. That's true. Um, you know, how to, you know, and, you know, I, I think there's something to be said with the sense of urgency, too. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the Lightning are going to make the playoffs. Absolutely. You know, unlike the teams, a lot of the teams they're, they're playing, playing, they're going to face Columbus for two more this week. Mm-hmm. They're fighting for their playoff lives. Right. 
you know, when they play Chicago, when they play Nashville, when they, you know, play Dallas, those teams are fighting for their playoff lives mm-hmm. where, you know, the lightning, you know, don't have to, um, it's not an excuse because they'll be the first to tell you we didn't play well enough to win. Right. Um, you know, but it's, you know, it's part of the ebbs and flows of a season. Although losing four out of six is not very common for this lightning team. No, it's not. And, 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 and to score as little as they have to. Right. I mean, you know, it's like seven straight games of three goals or less or something like that. Yeah. You know, they're not the highest scoring team in hockey anymore. I think the Avalanche passed them, which not that that matters, but right. But I mean, that's you know, it's always a play. Now, and granted, they're also doing all this, and 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 they were the top scoring team in in hockey. Now they're second without Kucherov. I mean, don't forget that one of your best offensive weapons isn't even there still. Uh, right, and like I said, not an excuse. Um, they're not playing as well as they were a few weeks ago. No question about it. And mm-hmm. and they, you know, if they play like this going into the playoffs, it's going to be a problem. Right. You know, but they've got 18 games to figure it out too. They've gone from averaging two point, or I'm sorry, from averaging uh, 3.7 goals per game, and then over the past seven games, they've averaged 2.1. So mm-hmm. you're asking a whole lot, and he usually delivers of your goaltender in Vasilevsky or whoever's uh, in the net. Um, so, you know, offense, you could, you can definitely see a, a drop off in production there. And, you know, let's, let's face it. I mean, and everybody, you know, look, Detroit played back-to-back games too, right. And they're on the road, but nonetheless, at some point, this schedule is, is, is going to, you're going to hit the lull. You're going to start to feel your legs. I just didn't think that they, they didn't, I don't know. I've watched them play in person. It's different when you watch them on TV, but I watched them play in person and, they just didn't seem to have the same intensity after the first period. I thought they played a good first period. They were down one to nothing. Mm-hmm. It was a soft goal. They uh, gave up a. I mean, it was on the penalty on the power play for Detroit. Yeah, so I mean, but, those happen. But during that stretch where they gave up like four goals, and I don't know during the second mm-hmm. period, obviously that's not them, and and uh, some things happened there too. But um, I, I still think the Chernak injury is bigger than we think too. Oh, for sure. Um, you know that right side. You could you could make a case that losing Chernak's more impactful than losing Hedman. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but you can make the case because on the left side you've got Hedman, McDonough, and, and Sergachev. Right, probably the best three left-handed defensemen as a group in the NHL. Right, but on the right side you've got Ruda and Chernak and Calfoot, who's improving. Mm-hmm. Well, Ruda's on IR and out. He's week to week at this point, not day to day. And Chernak's been out for four or five games at this point. Mm-hmm. So the right side of your D is Cal Foot, it's Ben Thomas, it's Andre Borg, Andre, Andreas Borgman, it's Luke Shen. Right. And Luke Shen's played well. Borgman's done okay. Mm-hmm. Ben Thomas, I thought, looked really good for a debut on Sunday. He did, and that's why he was up because they needed a right hand. They wanted to try another right-handed mm-hmm. defenseman. Yeah, I mean, and they need to see what they have going into the trade deadline and also the the playoffs. Right. Um, you know, last year they had nine defensemen. Mm-hmm. This year they have eight. Now Ben Thomas could be a ninth mm-hmm. if you think he's good enough. And so you know, getting a look or two prior to the trade deadline, which is April twelfth, right? Not that the Lightning have a lot of room to make trades, but you know, if they are going to make one, most likely it's going to be for a depth right-handed defenseman because that's what they most need on this team yep. at this point. Yep. So you know, giving him a look, but I thought he, I thought he played pretty well. I mean, they don't put him in a lot of you know high leverage situations per se, but he's. You know, was where he needed to be. He made strong plays. He was, 
you know, he did everything you wanted to see in, in a open in a debut for a, a defenseman on the third pair. Yeah, and they got on, gave him a lot of minutes. He had, I think, over fourteen minutes, and um, mm-hmm. he was it was fun listening to him be interviewed after the game. You know, for him, I think you know four years uh, in the AHL, and and um, yep. you talked about how you know it was a dream come true, and you know you're out there and it's surreal, and and then after the first shift, you kind of settle down, and it feels like hockey. And he did; he played well. He had nothing nothing to be ashamed about at all. Um, but you can't imagine that moment that 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 he felt you know, going out there, which was really cool. And they've had a lot of guys, you know, come come up and down all year long, and they will. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of a skid here for the Lightning. So we'll see if they can straighten it out against Columbus. All right, so tonight uh, we've got a lot to watch on TV. Of course, the Final Four, like we mentioned, uh, that'll be uh, this evening, and we'll see if Gonzaga can go undefeated 32-0 and or Will they get stopped by Baylor? Should be a great game. The Rays are at Boston, as we mentioned. First pitch, seven ten. Michael Waka on the mound for them. And tomorrow, we're going to have our very popular mailbag segment. I know we're kind of winding down a little bit uh, with free agency, but there's still some guys out there, including Antonio Brown. But you can bring us anything you want about the Lightning, the Rays, the Bucks, college football. Draft is around the corner. We're going to be doing a lot of draft stuff in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com, so you want to look for that. If you want to send us a question, just do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.